us, we've been um, working through uh, this theme over the course of this year. We've broken it off into little sections and we've been exploring, I guess, how do we become more mature disciples of Jesus? How do we uh, grow as we follow him together? And um, so we've been working through these traits. We started off looking at part of the church family and we've worked around clockwise from there and we are now at the final one, which is applies God's word, which is sort of fitting, I think. I think it's sort of the uh, you know, nice way to end it because if you haven't listened to any, other, any of the others, if you listen to this one and you do this one, you should do all the others in theory, right? In theory that we've been preaching God's word through the other ones, which I think we have. So we're looking at applies God's word and we've given it the, um, the title for these next few weeks is called Buy the Book. Um, not like purchase the book, but living by the book, which I don't know if you hear that. When I sort of read it, I was like, oh. you sort of cringe a little bit. Does anyone else do that? It's like by the book, you're like, oh, I don't know. Because it sort of has this negative sort of connotation, this negative tone to it, because it's about, you know, we use it in the context of people who, I guess, are strict, people who are boring, live by the rules, you know, they're sort of, you know, dot all the I's, cross all the T's kind of people. And uh, in our world, we certainly don't want to be like that. We like to be free, do what we want. And, and so it's sort of got this negative sort of ring to it. But I think it's kind of appropriate because I think that's often how we feel when it comes to God's word. Or at least that's certainly what our world would say, that this book is outdated, it's oppressive, it's used to control people. It's just a book. It's just a book of rules. You don't need a. Why would you read that? They're rules that are from hundreds of years ago. They're not relevant for today. Like that's what our world says, and I think that's often, if we're honest, if I'm honest, that's often how I can often feel about God's word. Is that like? Is it really like? Do I really have to do some of the things that are in here? Surely, not. And so, living by the book. Um, well. If we're honest, often we don't really want to do it. And, um, and I think it's because we forget that the, God's word is good news. And I think if, if there's one thing like for this morning that I want to, I guess, help us see is that this is a book of good news. And so we're to delight in it. We're to sort of experience joy as we try to live by it. And that's actually the best way to live is by the book according to the truth that we read in it. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at sort of the why, why we live by the book. Over the next few weeks, we'll get a bit more practical of how we actually apply God's word to our lives. But for now, we are going to read from Psalm 1. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table if you want to grab one there. Otherwise, it's on the screen as well. I encourage you this morning... And every morning that we're here, be active as we listen, as we read, take notes, underline things, and uh, be active as we listen to what God has to say for us. So Psalm 1, starting from the top, says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. 
In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this morning we're going to look at three different passages, and we're going to start here, Psalm 1, and uh, we're going to look at what it means to be blessed. Hashtag blessed. You know, we see it all over our world, often social media is often full of this idea that we are blessed, you know, we're a lucky country, where we've got everything that we need. And, and I want to look at that because the, the word blessed that we read here, right, the first, first word of all the Psalms is this word blessed or blessed, as some people would say. It literally means happy or content. So when you read that, totally change, for me, it totally changed the way I read this verse. Happy or content is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. But happy or content is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. That is like a radical message. Happy or content is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. See, you know, I've got this diagram because, you know, our world says the complete opposite. Our world says that contentment or happiness comes from predominantly two things. One, from consuming things. If you have this, if you get this, whether it's a car, whether it's a house, whether it's a job, a career, a promotion, whether it's gadgets, clothes, whatever it is, if you have this, you'll be happy. That's predominantly what our world says, yeah? Are we agreeing with that? All right. The second option then, the second path to happiness that our world says is by achieving certain things. So if you achieve uh, this sort of lifestyle, if you achieve this fitness goal or this, um, this retirement sort of plan or if you achieve this promotion or achieve this, you know, whatever it is, that will bring you happiness. And we constantly get bombarded by these messages that if we have this or if we achieve this, we will be happy and we'll be content. But what Psalm 1 teaches us is actually, I would say, kind of the opposite. That actually happiness or contentment, blessing, comes from delighting in God's word and in his way of life. It says the law of the Lord. And I, I want to say that the law of the Lord doesn't just mean, you know, it, it wasn't just words on a page for the Israelites when they read the law of the Lord. It was what those words also represented. It was a way of life. And so it's delighting not just in the words on the page, but in what God, how he wants us to live. It's his word and his way of life that God is asking us to delight in. And that's when we find contentment. And so we need to meditate on it chew on it, wrestle with it, reflect on it, read it. And that becomes the input. That becomes what's important. And there's still an output as the psalm goes on. You know, that he's the one that is like streams, a, a tree planted by the streams that bears fruit. And so 
But it's not about achieving certain things for the kingdom. It's about bearing fruit. It's about letting God grow something in you that has an impact in his kingdom. And it's different to achieving. And I think often we get in churches and we think we have to achieve things. We have to be a certain, we have to have this ministry, achieve this or do this or do this. But what if it was more about like actually letting God grow something in us and being something rather than achieving? It's just a little side thought. So what if... All right, we're going straight into the deep end here. But what if the path to happiness or contentment is less about consuming and achieving and more about delighting in God's word and his way of life? What if we applied that to our lives? totally changes everything. Obviously, it's only one piece of the puzzle. You know, God's word says the word blessed many other times. You know, it talks about, you know, Jesus talks about it in the, the, um, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. What does he say? Blessed are the, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Words that sound very different to what our world will tell us in his happiness. And I think that's why, when we're talking about applying God's word, I think that's why it's so hard. Because it's competing with another message. It's competing with a different voice. We've got you know, our flesh, our world, and our enemy giving us a different message to what's in God's word. And so it becomes a competing battle So when we think of our lives, do we actually apply God's word? to? I love what Francis shared at the start this morning. (laughs) He heard a message last week and then he applied it later that day. Did anyone else sort of apply stillness or peace or anything in their week this week? A few? It's good. I mean, that's what we should be doing, yeah? Like not just hearing it, but actually going, yeah, that's true. I'm going to live this. Even if it doesn't quite feel right, even if it sort of doesn't quite make sense, I'm going to apply the truth of God's word to my life. What about, what about money? A few weeks ago, we had a ripper sermon on money. I don't know if you remember that. Did you apply that to your life? <laughs> That's a bit more challenging. I mean, stillness is, is kind of cool because, you know, a lot of our world talks about stillness, and so, you know, that's kind of easy. But what about money? So when you think about what the Bible says about money, it's a completely different message to what, God's, uh, to what the world says. I mean, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, more blessed to give than to receive. He says that in Acts. And yet our world says, um, you need these things to be happy, so just take, get, and do whatever you have to do to get it. God's word says, do not covet. Do not desire things that aren't yours. And our world says, you know, just look, window shopping, it's not, not an issue. Want that, dream that, desire that. Jesus tells a parable warning against building bigger barns, you know, and storing up too much excess. It's actually a parable where Jesus said, and yet our world says, you know, save as much as you want, invest, look after yourself, you need to set yourself up for last few years of your life 
where Jesus calls us to be generous. And, you know, you get what I'm saying. God's word, you know, calls us to do one, and our world often says the opposite. And my question is, who are we going to listen to? When it comes to these competing messages, who do we listen to? And my prayer this morning is that we would actually delight in God's word and his way of life and go, you know what? This is the best way to live. And that's a, that's a statement of faith. It's, it's believing that even when you can't see it, even when, you can't, even when it doesn't feel like it's the best, that you know what? I'm going to trust. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to apply this to my life. I'm going to live this out. I'm going to delight in doing so because I believe that well, that's where the happiness and contentment is. And, 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 and when we say happiness and contentment, we've got to realize that we hear that through a 21st century Western cultured lens. So when we hear happiness and contentment, we are thinking of that like the world says it looks like. That it's about a nice house and a nice car and you know, safety, comfort, all that sort of stuff. But what if happiness and contentment, if we do to find that by how God's word defines that, it actually looks very different. It actually looks more about a kingdom life, sort of heaven on earth, Jesus with his people living for his mission. What if that was sort of happiness and contentment? So that's something we've got to wrestle with as well. What does happiness and contentment, this sort of blessed life, what does that actually look like? So when we read Psalm 1, We need to be aware of the wrong voices. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one, and then it has three things, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And what what this is, it's, it's, it's it's a word picture, it's a metaphor. It's trying to describe something of someone who hears something. They get the counsel of the wicked, and they just start walking. And then after they start walking, they then stand with them in unity. And then they're sitting with them in a picture of intimacy. So it's a, it's a progression. And I think that's what often we've got to recognize is the nature of sin, is the nature of these voices that we hear. Is not, it's not just, you know, we often go, oh, it's harmless. It doesn't really matter if I look, if I do this. You know. But actually the nature of sin is is a downward spiral. It starts with just walking, and then it leads to standing, and then it leads to then sitting. And so we need to recognize that in our lives and go, you know what, when I do, and when I am convicted by God's Spirit of my own brokenness, that's the point where I need to turn back to God. I need to seek forgiveness. I need to seek repentance, turn back to Him and trust Him again. Because it's this downward spiral. So we need to be aware of the wrong voices. I mean, in, in, in Genesis 4, God says to Cain, you know, beware, because sin is at your door and it, it desires to, what? It says it desires to rule over you, to master over you. That sin is not just this sort of harmless thing that we don't need to worry about, but it's actually, we need to be aware of the voices that we're listening to. So if we're being aware of these other voices... We need to then turn to God's word. Actually recognize that actually God, like that tree planted by streams of water, he, he desires for us to flourish. 
in this world. Flourish in his perspective, with his eternal perspective. And so do we delight? Do we trust that? Do we put our faith in that? And do we live that way? And I love that word delight. Do we love, like, do we delight? Because for me, that becomes, it's, it's, a, it's a heart issue, not a behavior issue. This is not just about ticking the right boxes and doing the right thing and living by the book, <laughs> ticking. This is about a heart that says, you know what? Actually, I delight to live this way. Because you can, you can do it all and not delight in it. And I think that shows a heart issue. I mean, that's what Jesus' was issue was with the Pharisees. <laughs> they lived by the book, but their hearts were far. That you can get to the, to the end and Jesus will say, you know, you've done all these things, but I never knew you. So it's not a matter of living perfectly according to the book, but it's a matter of, is this my heart's delight to actually try and follow this voice, try and follow this king who's worth following. And so God's word says, blessed, happy, content is the one who delights in this word. And so my prayer this morning is that God would create that craving in us that would actually have a craving for God's word. That would go, you know what? I need to know this. I need to understand this. I need to live by this because I recognize that that's what's going to lead to happiness. That's what's going to lead to contentment as God puts it. 1 Peter 2 verse 1 and 3, it says this. Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and all envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if you, and if you indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do we, do we long for the pure spiritual milk, which is God's word? Do we, do we crave it? Because, you know, you know, you think of that thing of craving, it's like... you. I mean, look, I, I don't really know, but I'm never really craving for food that I don't like. Yeah? Like, if, you, if you're sort of hungry, you like think, oh, I really feel like I know what I feel like. It's something that's good. It's something that you like. It's something that you long for. It's this craving for something that if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, we crave for this. Because here's the thing, by it, by, by it, you may grow up into salvation. Now, as we wrap up this theme of becoming mature disciples, this is what's going to do it. This has got to be one of the best discipleship tools that we have in our tool belt. And so it needs to be a key feature in our church, in our homes, in our families, in our life groups, grow groups, ministries, missions. Like everything we do, we need to ask ourselves, is the Bible a key feature? We need to assess that for our own lives. Is the Bible a key feature in my life? Because by it, by it we will grow up into salvation. And why? Why does this happen? Three quick things from this passage. Verse 23, Peter writes, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living 
and the abiding word of God. It's 1 Peter 1.23. So we recognize that God's word is living. Like this is foundational theology here. That God's word is, the term we use is inspired. That it speaks. That it's God breathed. That, that it's living and it's active according to Hebrews 4. That actually when we read it, it's not just words on a page. That God is speaking through his word to his people. That the Holy Spirit, uh, the other term we use, it illuminates. That the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand and to read it and to hear God's voice in it. It's not just a normal book. And we need to approach it with that lens. We need to approach that, you know what, when I read God's Bible, I'm believing and I'm trusting that it's living. It's a living word. When I come to church each Sunday, I'm going to hear God's word preached. I'm believing that God's word is living and active. Totally change it. It should totally change the way that we approach this whole thing. That God's word is living. The other week I was, um, you know, I took a day off and I went for a bit of a drive. And I read through the whole book of Joshua. I don't know if you've ever like read through a whole book before. Like, it took a bit of time, and like, there's a pat, there's the middle of Joshua. Oh man, it's like tough work. It's like all the land allotments. This tribe gets this part. Oh man, I was like, I'll be honest, I skimmed over that a fair bit. But you know, naturally speaking, it's just a it's just a story about a guy who does some pretty miraculous things. He leads you know his country through into the promised land, conquers nations. You know, naturally speaking great story but as I read it there was this supernatural experience where actually I felt God speak to me and there was things in it that stood out that as I prayed and as I dwelt and I sat there I was like yeah actually bam that's what I needed to hear some could say it's coincidence that you know I turned to that passage and decided to read it and you know the times and how I was feeling and the mood and all that sort of lined up. Or I believe that God's word is living and active like God's word says it is. The second thing we read is that, as Peter writes, is that it's a living and abiding word. In verse 24, For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I've been captured by this thought in the last couple of weeks that for thousands of years people have lived by the book and it's got them through. People, even currently, are in persecuted situations, dying for their faith, and yet God's word is enough for them. And I just thought, like, if it's enough for them, maybe it's enough for me. And, like, if you think for, for thousands of years people have been relying on this because it's once again what are the theological terms we use it's infallible there's no mistakes that it's coherent that's consistent that it that it's sufficient that it speaks what we need and and sure people can twist it and distort it misinterpret it but in the end god's truth always claws its way back out and therefore, this word is trustworthy. It's reliable. We can build our lives on it because it's abiding. The word of the Lord remains forever. And I just think that is got to capture us, that this book, 
God's word has stood the test of time. And generation after generation after generation have heard God's word, lived by it. People of all cultures. And they've been able to follow Jesus into life in all of its fullness and into life eternal. And the last thing from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1 verse 25, it says, And this word, this word is the good news that was preached to you. Like I said at the start, that ultimately God's word is good news. And the, you know, we, we've got to recognize that the lenses that we have condition us to read the Bible in certain ways. And so people can come at it with a scientific lens and they'll read it and they'll go, well, actually, none of that's true. Or people will come, you know, whatever lens they have. But what if we actually believed that God's word was good news? How would that change the way that we read it? Would we read it and, like our wonderful pastor Glenn Decker used to say, would we read it and would it put a smile on our face and a spring in our step? Because it's good news. Because we read it and we see God for who he is. We see Jesus for who he is. You know, I love the Bible Project. Hands up if you've heard of the Bible Project. Hopefully, if you haven't, go on YouTube, go on the website. watch the. They just released a video on the Trinity and it's like really good. So if you have questions about the Trinity, watch that video. Um, But I love that, that, you know, these are guys that are trying to, you know, work through the whole Bible, release videos explaining different things. And their one line thing <laughs> to sum up the Bible is that it's a unified story that leads to Jesus. And I just think, bang, that's what the Bible is. It leads us to Jesus and Jesus, our Savior and our King. As we read that, as we see that, we should know that it's good news because Jesus changes, well, he changed all of history. I believe he changes all of our lives. I, hope, I know he's changed my life and I hope he's changed yours. And, and so when we read God's word as good news, when we read and understand and know the sacrifice and the love and the grace, it totally changes the way that we see it. And that's when we can begin to delight in it, when we understand that it's as good news. Peter writes, this word is the good news. It's a totally change the way that we do it, read it, the way that we apply it, should bring delight to us. So Peter writes, if you indeed have tasted that the Lord is good, if you've tasted the sweetness of the gospel, the joy that that relationship with God brings, he says, if you've tasted that, what do you do? Crave and long for the pure spiritual milk. If we've had that taste, then you go, okay, I want to go back because it's good. I'm going to keep. And I pray that God would work that in our hearts this morning, that we would actually realize and know and believe that it's good. It's good news that's been preached to us and it's changed our lives, it's changed our hearts, and therefore I'm longing to go back. Church, may we develop a craving for the Word of God in every area, and every aspect of our lives. Because it's by God's word 
that we'll grow up into salvation by knowing it, by applying it, that we can follow him. And so lastly, I want to start landing the plane. I was going to say wrap up, but still a little bit to go. So hang in there. We all good? Good. All right. John chapter 6. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Let me try and summarize. It's, it's, a, it's like one of the longest chapters in the Gospels. So bear with me. But just try and imagine the scene for a minute. Jesus is out by the Lake of Galilee. And a whole bunch of people there listen to his teaching. You know the story. Jesus feeds them. There's, the Bible records that there's 5,000 people. Most scholars say there was probably 5,000 men. So there's probably 10, 12,000 people. But let's just go with 5,000. Right? 5,000. A lot of people there. Jesus finds a little boy who's got five loaves of bread, a couple of fish, miraculously provides for everyone and leftovers. He's done everything. And, and the crowds at this point are like, they're blown away. And it says that they intended to make Jesus king by force. They were going to take him and sort of put the crown on him, march to Jerusalem and be like, this guy's our king because he just fed us miraculously. The way to win a crowd over is food, apparently. So church lunch next week, <laughs> make sure there's good food. Um, And Jesus, almost just as miraculously, he escapes the crowd. I don't know how he does it. He does it multiple times with the Gospels where the crowd comes to sort of make him king and he just disappears. I mean, how do you let that guy go? I don't know. But anyway, he he escapes to the mountain, goes to pray. And uh, obviously he's probably told his disciples, you know, what the plan is. And disciples jump in the boats. They go to the other side. um, And the crowd wakes up in the morning and they go, where is Jesus? He's nowhere to be seen. They know he didn't get into a boat with the disciples. The disciples are on the other side. And of course, the disciples in the middle of the night have had the experience of seeing Jesus walk on water. Uh, another crazy miracle. And uh, the crowd hears that Jesus is on the other side. And so you can just imagine the crowd at this point. This guy's just fed thousands of us. He's sort of somehow got to the other side of the lake. So they're probably thinking either we've got the next Grant Hackett on our hands and he's you know, going to win us every swimming medal for the next you know, however many years or you know, somehow miraculously he's gone across. Either way, they're bursting at the seams. They all pile into boats, go to the other side and uh, sort of confront Jesus. What's going on? And Jesus begins to talk to them and recognizes that they're looking for another sign. They're looking for more proof. Like, we, you know, we want to make a king, but like, just give us another sign. And, and then Jesus must preach one of the worst sermons ever. All right? He begins to teach to them that he is the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will hunger no more. They'll thirst no more. Jesus is saying that, like, I will satisfy. And he says the work of God, the work of God is just to believe. If you, want, if you believe... In the one who he sent, trust that I am enough to satisfy. That's what you need to do. And he uses a whole bunch of Old Testament imagery that messes with their heads. They can't quite fit it into their sort of theological constructs. And um, 
they begin to ask questions, they're debating, they're disputing. And right at the end, in verse 66, it says, After that, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So in one sermon, Jesus has gone from over 5,000 people down to 12. So why do I, why do I tell this whole story? It's because it's not easy. This path of following Jesus, of applying God's word, is not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for the people who saw fish and loaves you know, miraculously multiplied. It wasn't easy for the disciples who saw him walk across the water. It's not, it's not easy to apply this. It's difficult teaching. It's challenging application. There's mystery. There's things that we need to wrestle with. There's tensions we need to manage. There's paradoxes that, that don't make sense. Like, it's not easy. And yet, Jesus says, the work, the work of God is to believe to trust. It's a message that's countercultural, but we're going to live by the book. It will take some debate, it will take some dispute, it will take some wisdom, it will take some people around us to help us, it will take lots of listening, it will take lots of reading, but it will take way more faith. It will take a lot of faith to live by the book. And what I love about this story is when Jesus then turns to the 12 that are left. 5,000 have whittled down to 12. And Jesus looks at them and says, well, this is your chance. Do you want to go too? And I love what Simon Peter says. Often the one that stuffs it up with what he says. But this time comes through with one of the most beautiful lines. He says, Lord, to whom will we go? Where else will we go? He says, you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus follows up and he reminds him, he says, yeah, have I not chosen you? Because the reality is you don't make that sort of claim unless God has grabbed a hold of your heart and your life. But I just love that response. Where else, where else can we go? You have the words of life, the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And as we've believed, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're the one who the Father sent. You're our Savior. You're our King. And we're going with you. Where else? Where else can we go? So really, the first thing for us this morning as we begin this theme of applying God's word, the big question is, is do you believe it? Do you believe that this is God's word? Because when we believe, then we'll come to know. We believe, we trust, we have faith, and then we'll come to know, then we'll come to delight, then we'll come to have confidence and assurance. You know, God's word said we live by faith, not by sight. It's not always going to make sense. It's not always going to be easy. But would we actually turn to Jesus and say, 
actually you've got the words of eternal life. You're the words that, like, this is the word that I'm going to follow. This is the message that I'm listening to. This is the voice that I'm going to trust. See, it's a step of faith to believe in the book, to live by the book. It's a step of faith to turn to Jesus and say, you have the words of eternal life. And do we believe it enough that we would say to Jesus, like, where else can we go? Do we believe enough to go, you know what? I'm tuning out all the other voices. (laughs) Yeah, there's other options. I could go back to the fishing boat. I could go back to fighting for my country. Like The disciples had other options. But they say, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm banking on. That's what I'm putting my trust and my faith. That's what I'm listening to. That's what I'm going to apply to my life. That is what I'm going to believe. That is what I'm going with. I'm tuning out all other voices. Where else can I go? Do we believe enough to do that? tune out the other messages to not walk in the counsel of the wicked to not stand in the way of sinners to not sit in the seat of scoffers do we believe enough to delight in God's word his way of life so may we believe I know it sounds a bit weird that we're talking about applying God's word and yet the only application, like Jesus says, believe in the one who is sent. Do you believe it? My prayer this morning is that we would, once again, take a step of faith, place our trust in Jesus, trust in his word and go, you know what? Yeah, this is what I'm going to live my life on. This is what I'm going to build my life on. I'm going to invite the music team up and We're going to finish up by singing that song, Build My Life, kind of fitting. Um, But the song's not just about applying things. The whole song is is basically, what I would say is, it's a song of faith. Declaring first and foremost that Jesus is worthy. Worthy of every song that we sing. (laughs) Worthy of every breath that we breathe. That Jesus is the one worthy of us following. That he's the only one who can save. And as we believe that, we then ask God to open our eyes, to lead us, to guide us. And as we believe and we, we come to know, we ask God, well, build our lives on this. It's a firm foundation. It's the voice that I can trust, that I can build my life on, knowing that that's what leads to eternal blessing, eternal happiness, eternal contentment. I'm going to tune out the other voices. I'm going to trust in this. Jesus Christ, a solid rock, a firm foundation, the cornerstone for our lives. Amen? Amen. Let me stand and let's sing this song as a song of faith. Sing it as a prayer, asking God to build our lives.